Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. This morning I read uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And the Word of God reads, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of God for the people of God. And today I want to talk to you about how in God's kingdom we are given a renewed relationship with ourselves. And you'll find that as we go along, I'm going to raise a couple of questions for you to pose to yourself. Now I recognize in telling you that that sometimes too many questions become, well frankly, just a little irritating. I mean, if you've ever been on a long trip with little kids in the back seat, you know personally how they constantly ask things like, are we there yet? Or how much farther do we have to go? I once heard a story about a man who had driven all day long with three, with three children in his back seat. They hadn't been gone from the house for but five minutes when they started asking things like, Daddy, are we there yet? Daddy, how much longer? Oh, Daddy, how are we there yet? And finally, this dad who's driving, he, he had all he could take. And so he turned and he pointed his fingers to those kids and he says, it's going to take us all day to get there. And we won't get there until it's dark. So stop asking me, are we almost there? It was quiet for about five minutes in the car until one little tiny voice in the back seat said, Daddy, is it almost dark yet? I hope the questions I pose to you this morning are not irritating like that. In fact, what I hope is that they are informing. What I hope is that they help us understand who we are in relationship to King Jesus. Last week, I remind you, we talked about how if we are going to be totally committed to Jesus, it means that we offer our bodies to God once and for all, and if you will, saying, God, here I am, I am yours. And in order to do that, as we saw in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, it says that we must not allow the world out there to conform us, or if you will, to press us into the mold of the world. Instead, we ought to be allowing God to transform us by changing the way we think about things. And Someone immediately, upon hearing that, might be thinking, all right, well, if I'm supposed to be thinking differently... Brother Dan, would you please give me an example of how I should be thinking differently? I'm glad that you asked me to do that because I would point you to verses 3 through 8 in this passage. It begins to explain to us how we begin to think differently. We have it right here. 
what I want us to do again is to answer two questions specifically today. And you're the only one who can answer these questions for yourself. The first question we will ask is, who am I? Who am I? And what I want us to do this morning is, and what I'm going to encourage you to do is to know yourself realistically. If you will, to develop an honest, serious evaluation of who you are. Somebody once said, I'm not who I think I am, and I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Or in other words, you must understand how other people see you. But more importantly, you must understand how God sees you so that you can see yourself realistically. If you'll look at verse 3, Paul says that there's a real danger for us here, though. And If you're not careful, you'll think too highly of yourself. And what I want us to do in answering this question is to point out some extreme responses to these, okay? Just to accentuate some points. So I want to put before us an extreme number one, which is something that I'll call overestimation. See, many people overestimate their value, or if you will, they overestimate their worth. They say, you know, I'm somebody. I'm the cat's meow. This, the person in this extreme thinks that they're right. And by the way, in their course of thinking that they're right, they think that every last person's wrong. They think that they're the only one who could ever do a job right. No one on earth can do a job as well as they can. They're the kind of people who stand in front of their mirror and they look at themselves and they sing that wonderful hymn, How Great Thou Art. They may not say that out loud, but secretly they really think that they are the greatest on earth. Now, someone in this extreme is in a real danger in this way. See, Satan will come up and whisper to these people who were prone in this direction. Satan says to them, you know, you really are better than everyone else. In fact, you may be as good as God. Here's what I want to remind you that I know I've said over the last few weeks. But I need to say it again. Satan doesn't want you to worship Satan. He's not concerned with that. That's not his motive. Satan, Satan wants you to worship yourself. That's what he wants you to focus on, is you. He wants to let you believe that you're as good as God. And if you're not careful, you'll fall into the trap of thinking that you really are so special. I heard about another man who was driving down the expressway in rush, in rush hour traffic. And suddenly his cell phone rings and his wife says, Honey, you need to be careful driving home because I just heard on the news that there's an idiot going in the wrong direction on the same expressway you're driving on. And he says, Well, it's not just one, honey. There's hundreds of them. Some people are that way. They think that they're the only one right. And they think everybody else is wrong. Now, Some of you may think, You know, God, I'm really doing you a favor here today. I'm here. I'm at church. And God, you're so fortunate that you've got me. And some people think that they are totally indispensable. They believe that they're totally irreplaceable. In fact, I came across an interesting little poem that I want to read to you. It says this. Sometime when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego is up, sometime when you take it for granted that you're the only prize-winning pup, Sometime when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see if it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Now pull your hand out fast and see the hole that remains. 
it will measure how much you're missed. You may splash all you please as you enter and stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute it's back where it was before. Throughout history, there are always there have always been individuals who thought that they were indispensable. In fact, Winston Churchill once said that there are cemeteries filled with men who thought that they were indispensable. Yet I need you to know clearly today there is only one indispensable member of the body of Christ, and it is the head of the body, King Jesus himself. So do not make the mistake of overestimating your worth. And if you lean in that direction, I want to give you something this morning that you desperately need whether you recognize it or not. And that is an ego-bursting confession. That is this, that I'm a fallen, deformed sinner. I can't do it alone. There's something completely wrong within my personality, something about my sinful nature that I cannot completely trust. And friends, if we lean in this direction, we need to make this affirmation about who we are. I don't often talk about members of this church individually, but did you know that there's one particular member of First Baptist Church that gives me fits all the time? Boy, howdy, he gives me fits. The guy that gives me more trouble than anybody else is the guy who started dating my wife 21 years ago, and he still lurks around my home today. I've had a lot of trouble with that guy because sometimes I don't like what he does, and I can tell you I don't like the way he thinks a lot. I'll tell you, even though I've been a Christian for many years now, I feel that in me there is still something that I cannot really trust. You know what it is? It's that old sinful nature. And someone says, well, aren't we forgiven sinners? Yes, we are. That's why the apostle, when he's writing to Timothy, says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Or maybe your translation says, as Paul says, of which I am the chiefest of sinners. Friends, we need to be careful about our overestimating of our sense of value and our sense of worth. The Bible says, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Or it says in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's one extreme in answering who am I. But there's another. Because there may be many in this room who say, you know, this overestimation, that's not my problem. My problem's the, under, the, uh, the other extreme. It's an extreme that I call undervaluation. These people who are subject to this would say, you know, I don't think I'm somebody big. In fact, I think I'm worthless. I think I'm no good. And by the way, friend, if you grow up and your parents or your teachers or your friends say to you things like, you know, you're good for nothing and you're a worthless piece of trash, you're going to grow up believing that about yourself. And that's not true either. Sometimes people walk around with their shoulders slumped and they're saying things like, you know, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And they, they try to convey or portray that as humility. That's not humility. It's poor posture. God doesn't want you to walk around saying that you're nothing because you are somebody in Christ. Now, I have something else for you. And it's the, if, the, if your problem is this extreme, what I have here is a head-raising confession. This, for those who undervalue themselves, 
need to affirm this if you are in Christ. That you are a loved, cherished child of God. Where you say, I now stand before God covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Clarity. I'm talking about the people in this room who are saved. Who by grace through faith in Jesus Christ have been redeemed. So that God looks at you and I now covered in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So don't go around. You don't get to go around saying if, if you're blood bought. You don't get to go around saying I'm nothing. You just don't get to do that. You're a child of God. And that is important. It's like the, the last verse of the hymn. My hope is built on nothing less. That, that last verse reads, When he shall call with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, Dressed in his righteousness alone, Faultless to stand before the throne. See, it's true when Jesus comes back, you want to be in Christ. You better want to be in Christ knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back. But the glorious truth is this. Right now, at this moment, if you are a Christian, if you have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and you're, you're dressed in His righteousness alone, when God looks at you, He says, there is a faultless, forgiven child of mine. That's how the Father looks at you. Such is what Jesus has done for you. That wonderful cross. Don't make the mistake of either one of these extremes. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, as we see in verse 3. But recognize who you are according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And by the way, there's also a third way of answering this, and I think it's the proper way of answering this. And I want to describe for you a proper self-esteem or a proper self-image. You can come to such a proper view of yourself when you have an unshakable confidence in God. But you won't be conceited about it because your confidence is in God, not in yourself. You might be thinking right now, you know, Pastor Dan, you look like you've got a lot of self-confidence. And if you believe that, you'd be absolutely wrong because my reply would be something like, you know, that's really funny. I have absolutely no self-confidence. I don't have any more confidence in Dan Newberg than I have in the devil himself. And that would be absolutely true. But I have a great, unshakable confidence in Jesus Christ as well. See, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and by the way, and put no confidence in the flesh. I want to give you what I think is a good example of a proper self-image of who we are in Christ. And this example can be seen in the life of John the Baptist. If you remember, John the Baptist was out there preaching in the Judean wilderness, and thousands of people were flocking out from Jerusalem. He's preaching. He's baptizing. He was the most prominent, famous preacher in his time. And some of the Pharisees came to interview him. They, they, they might, have, might as well have been from the Jerusalem Post coming to interview him and inquire about who he is. And they came with their notepads, and they say, you know, John, tell us, who are you? Who are you? That's the same question we're answering right now, right? Of ourselves, who am I? And John could have gone to this extreme and he could have said, you know, I'm the most famous preacher in Judea. Just look at the crowds. Look how many I've baptized. Oh, look at me. And they might have asked 
following that. Well, are you the Messiah, John? And John could have said things like, just like the people who have come before him or many who have come after him, answering that question. He could have said, yeah, you know, I'm the anointed of God. But he didn't say that. No, when they said, John, who are, who are you? He also did not say, you know, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. He didn't say that either. He said, John, who are you? And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming. That's who he says he is. He says, my job is to get the way ready for the king to point people to Jesus Christ. That's my job. And you see, friend, that's a positive self-image. Some people would have looked at John and they might have said, you know, that guy's so cocky. But he wasn't. He knew who he was in Christ Jesus. He wasn't overvaluing himself, nor was he undervaluing himself. It's Jesus who said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. And then he said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason that some of us can't love other people is because we really don't love ourselves. And I want to be made or heard very clearly right now. I am not talking about being in love with yourself. There's a distinction with the words I'm saying right now. Loving yourself means that you see yourself as God sees you. One in whom he sent his son forth to die. One in whom his son shed his precious blood for. One in whom by faith has been adopted into the family of God and now is an heir of all things and is a child of the Most High. That's how God sees you. And you've got to answer the question, who am I? And you cannot do that when you, without knowing yourself realistically. Okay? That was one question. Here's another. How do I fit in? How do I fit into what we're doing right here? Because this is the second question we're going to answer. How do I fit into the body of Christ? And in this, where I called you to see yourself realistically in answering the first question, what I want to do is to call you to see yourself relationally. In other words, how you relate to others around you. And we're going to be talking about the body of Christ right now. If you look with me once more at verses 4 and 5, I will remind you where Paul writes to the church at Rome, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Okay. If you want to know what this passage is saying, you need to make three statements about who you are that this passage says about you as a redeemed, blood-bought believer, follower of Jesus Christ. How do we fit in? The first answer is this. I am a member of the body of Christ. If you have been redeemed, if you have been saved, if you are a Christian, you can say, I am a member of the body of Christ. In the New Testament, there are three analogies of what the church is, and they all start with the letter B, interestingly enough. One is the body of Christ. Also, there, the, the church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And one day, the bridegroom Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to take us to the Father's house, and we're going to have a great wedding celebration. And the second picture of the church is that we're a building. Now, I'm not talking about the walls and the stained glass and the pews that you're sitting in. No, I'm not talking about a building with a steeple either. The Bible says in 1 Peter that we are all each living stones that make up the building of Christ. That's a picture of a church. 
So when we say at the start of a service, welcome to the house of the Lord, we're not talking about the walls. We're not talking about the roof. We're talking about this group of people who comprise the house of the Lord. And finally, there's this analogy of the church being the body. Do you want to know how the church of King Jesus functions? Just look down at your own body. I mean, really, look down at it. Because just as you have body parts, that's the way the church is formed. Just as each part of your body has a different function, that's the way the members of the church function. This may be debatable right now, but in my head, I do have a brain. And that brain is a nerve center. And when the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church, it doesn't mean that he is the skull. It means that he's the brain center. He's the nerve center of the church. And what Jesus says is that it's just like my brain giving messages through my nerves, telling what, part of my, what parts of my body to go and do. That's how Jesus wants to function in your life and in my life. It's a hand, right? A hand is for grabbing things, for picking things up, holding things. And it's made just for that. Have you ever found yourself staring at your hand and thanking God for your thumb? What would you do without your thumb? God designed it perfectly, right? You look down at your feet and you recognize these are things that God gave you to walk on. These are things that God gave you to stand on. If all of a sudden that you, you decided you wanted to walk around on your hands all the time, could you imagine how uncomfortable and how inefficient it would be to walk on your hands? Can you imagine how uncomfortable it would be to use your feet to pick up things? Now, some people do do that. They're able to do it. But it's not the best use of the form or the function of God's design. And some people do that. But we're talking about the church right now. What I want us to know or to be aware of is that there are some feet, proverbial feet in the body of Christ, that at times are trying to act like hands. Just like there are some hands that are trying to act like feet. And I'll tell you, without this arm or without this elbow or without this shoulder, this hand would be worthless. Without this leg, without my kneecap, with the, the, the foot that hangs on the end of it would be totally useless. And right now I'm wanting to call us to focus on our relationship to this local body of Christ. Because Jesus is our head. He's our nerve center. And sometimes people don't think that they have to even affiliate with the church. Sometimes people think that they don't have to relate to a local church. They say simply, I'm a Christian, isn't that all that matters? That's the main thing that matters, but listen to me. Please, you cannot be a growing, mature Christian and be alienated or separated from a local body of believers. Online audience, come on down one day. Can't be. Sometimes people say, well, I love Jesus, but do I really have to go down to that church? Can't they just meet in my house or at the lake or at the golf course with my family and we can just read the Bible and we can sing songs? Can't that count as church? Well, there's three principles when we start talking about what uh, is actually the image or the, the organization of a church that come from the New Testament. They all start with the letter O, and I've already given one to you, and that is organization. Are they organized as a church? You've got to ask this of these groups. Now, according to the New Testament, a church has pastors and deacons, and it has those two officers. You have to ask, in the example of like the at-home thing, are they organized as a church? Are there pastors? Are there deacons? If not, they can't call themselves a church. Another O is ordinances. Do they practice, it? Do they practice the ordinances of a church, meaning baptism and Lord's Supper? 
these are the two New Testament ordinances. And if those meeting in a home or on the lake or the golf course are not practicing the ordinances, they can't call themselves a church. Another O is outreach. Are they even trying to bring people to Christ? Because some of these groups are fellowship groups and they're not reaching out and fulfilling the Great Commission. They're not trying to bring people to Christ. And you can't call yourself a church if you're self-focused or you're self-centered that you're never trying to reach others for Christ. And having said all of that, I want to also be clear. There are some meetings in homes that are our churches or they're going to be churches. And many great churches have started in a home. You ought to learn the history of this church that's now 141 years old. But they organized according to the Bible. They practiced the ordinances and they were so outreach oriented that they brought people in until they outgrew the place they were meeting in. And it is true that every believer must be affiliated with the local body of Christ because you are a member of the body of Christ. Another thing I want us to point out, statements and how you fit in, is to say this. I'm a dependent member of the body. What does that mean? Simply this. We all need each other. I need you and you need me. That's why it says in verse 5, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I'll tell you, sometimes I struggle with the thought that I have to do all the work of the ministry. It's a really dangerous thing. The thought that I have to do everything. Do you know what happens whenever we buy into that lie? You just get worn out. You start serving and doing things outside your gifting or your function. See, God has given me certain functions. God has given me certain gifts. And he has given other people certain gifts and certain functions. And when I do my job and when you do your job, the body of Christ, guess what? We move together. But let me ask you, what would happen if your physical body, to your physical body, if suddenly your right arm just decided it was going to stop doing anything? The head would be giving it all sorts of kinds of messages. What, what would we call that? We'd call that a form of paralysis. We would call that poor health. Did you know the rest of the body would be handicapped or crippled if one part of your body decided to quit doing what it was designed to do? Friends, I'll, I know we know this. This is a great church. But do you know why this church is not an even greater church? It's because there are many members of this body who are not following the function God has given them in this body. In other words, there are folks who are spectators, who are pew warmers, who come and sit and watch and give a little bit here and there, but are not really involved in some kind of ministry. There's three things I encourage every member of the body of Christ known as First Baptist Church to do, and that's these. To be faithful in your worship attendance. To belong to a group, i.e. a Sunday school class. And to find a place to serve. Without those things, you're not going to be growing or maturing as a Christian. And you're like a part of the body that's paralyzed. And by the way, if those are not all three true, it's affecting the rest of the body. Now, I know you may tell yourself the church doesn't need you, but we absolutely do. That's why God called you here. That's why God rooted you here. We're dependent on you, every member of the body. We need you. Now, I'll grant you this, that some members of the body are more visible and prominent than others. I mean, think about it. I'm up here all the time. If in that visual of a body, I'm like a big old honking nose. You can't miss it. And some of you may be like a little toe. Well, what's the little toe for? 
Well, if you lost it, you'd know you wouldn't be balancing very well. If you had your little toe removed, you'd have all sorts of trouble trying to keep, keep balance. We are a dependent member of the body. We each need each other. I need you, and you need me. Last statement is to say, I'm a gifted member of the body. I want us to look at verse 6. Paul writes, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us see them, let us use them. I don't have time to go into all of the gifts that Paul lists in verses 7 and 8. But let me address something by pointing out to you that a gift is not like a birthday present or something. A gift is a God-given special capacity to serve. If you don't know what God has gifted you to do, you're going to be totally frustrated in the body of Christ. And I'll tell you this, one of the most liberating and energizing experiences in the Christian life is to discover what your gifts are and to begin to exercise your gifts within the body of Christ. I, could, I just want to ask you, do you know what would happen to First Baptist Church if, if every member of this local body suddenly began to understand things like, I'm a finger, or I'm an elbow, or I'm a kneecap, or I'm a foot. Do you know what would happen if we actually understood those things? If we began to understand, this is my job, this is my function, and we actually started doing it? You talk about a mighty moving force of God. A force of God that would accomplish far more than any of our wildest dreams could imagine. And that's the body of Christ set free to move and to grow. I like what F.B. Meyer wrote. It's a quote that will come overhead. He said this. I think it will attune our minds as we begin to conclude. It's urgently needful that the Christian people in our churches should come to understand that they are not a company of invalids to be wheeled about or fed by hand, nursed and comforted. But this is who we are. A garrison, a battalion, an enemy country, every one of which should have some post of duty at which he should be prepared to make any sacrifice rather than quitting. My friend, God has given you a job in First Baptist Church, and if you're not doing that job, it's not getting done. It's just not. And the war in which we are called into, not making the advances that our king would have us to. I want you to know, you are unique, and there's nobody else exactly like you. I hope you see you have value. But the sad thing is, at times, that value that God has given to us it's covered up. God designed and built you to do something in the church of King Jesus, but, but maybe through the years you've been covered up with the vines of things like tradition or the vines of thinking that you're not worthy or the vines of thinking that you do not have a place here. You need to tear those things down. And you need to understand that there is something valuable that God has given you. A gift. A gift that will point others to Jesus, just as John the Baptist did. You need to be restored to the ministry that God has called you to. And when you do that, you will begin to understand why God placed you in this body and the part and the role and the function you play. And that's going to be the most liberating experience you will ever have in the Christian life. I two questions. Who am I? How do I fit in? I will say this, you need to have the Lord answer those questions 
His word has begun to express that to you. Who are you? If by grace through faith you are a child of God, how do you fit in? The way that he's gifted you as a member of this body. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.